With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. I was moving to Austin when a FedEx tractor trailer carrying 2,000 gallons of liquid glue hit my bus from behind on the interstate. Both of the vehicles rolled over into the forest and uh, exploded. Everybody that saw the accident couldn't believe that I survived. This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and our journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today on the show, we talk to Mac Davis, founder of MiniCircle, a company that aims to extend the length and quality of human life through gene therapy. Mac has an incredible story that starts out on a small island with a lone computer connected to the internet. From there, he navigated through the dark underbelly of the web, unraveling its secrets, which ultimately led him to a small fortune in Bitcoin. This was just the beginning. Mac traveled the world seeking leaders in philosophy, came within inches of death after an explosion, started a biohacking lab that culminated in the mysterious death of his business partner, and faced an incredible number of interesting twists and turns. But first, I want to talk about how I came to meet Mac. I was interviewing Rob Reinhardt, founder of Soylent, and asked him if he had any suggestions for future interviews. He immediately suggested Mac Davis. So a few weeks later, Mac came in for an interview while he was crashing at Rob's apartment in LA. Also, just some information that will become relevant shortly. Rob has a chicken inside his apartment. Can you tell me what you had for breakfast this morning? Ooh, I had it. Eggs and bacon with Rob. Wow. How's that? From the chicken? Uh, these, <laughs> these eggs were the best eggs I've ever had, but they were not. The, the chicken's about to lay uh, in a couple weeks. That was the beginning of our interview, which was supposed to last two hours, but we ended up recording for over four hours. And after the interview finished, we continued talking late into the night off the record. Without a doubt, this was one of our most interesting interviews yet. So interesting, in fact, that we decided to dedicate a couple episodes to Mac's story. Mac's company, MiniCircle, is in the biohacking space. And you might be asking yourself, what is biohacking? I totally understand the confusion and discomfort that might be attached to that word. Biohacking conjures up images of Frankenstein-like creatures born from the brain of a 21st century Mary Shelley. Our minds might wander to a mad computer scientist sitting hunched back in a dark room. Lightning strikes outside and interspersed between thunderclaps are the taps of computer keys, carefully calculating and reconstructing his very genetic sequencing. Honestly, I'd be lying if I told you that there wasn't a grain of truth to this imagery, only reality is a great deal less spooky and has far more opportunity to be wildly beneficial to the general public. In short, biohacking is used to optimize the human body, and Mac is enthralled by this idea. 
If we can optimize an individual's biology, then biologically upgrading society, building a world that allows for a greater degree of autonomy, that's all within reach. Mac dreams of a paradise in which everyone has access to the type of biotechnology that will cure some of the world's most pressing diseases. Mac's also a very spiritual person. He walks the razor's edge between woo-woo spirituality and science. He's someone who challenges his own reality, yet remains steadfast in his principles. He inhabits the outskirts of society while simultaneously working to transform society into the philosophical utopia he imagines. While these concepts may seem paradoxical, Mac has found much success in a field that inspires fear into the hearts of politicians and sometimes the public. And much like Shelley's creature, Mac was initially isolated and left with only his thoughts and his musings on the world around him. One of my first memories living on Guam was the power going out a lot and uh, me seeing slugs. They had these like slug infestations on Guam and there were just like tons and tons of slugs everywhere and they would leave these mucus trails and uh, I thought that was so fascinating and I wanted to play with the slugs. Why do you think it was interesting? The trails were shiny. Um, I didn't leave mucus trails. They're just like alien and they they would appear in the in swarms and just crawl over everything and I, they, I thought they were really cool. Mm. And um, growing up in Guam, like that's part mm. of the U.S. Yeah. yeah, it's a territory. Yeah, so it's a territory of the U.S., but most people you would ask don't know that it's yeah. a territory. It's the furthest away from America. Really? It's, Even further it's, than Hawaii? Oh, way further. What? Yeah. It's like it's twice as far away as Hawaii is. Does that isolation like present itself? Yeah. People tend to diverge on on their feelings about the isolation on Guam. Mm. Like there's the feeling of being safe and then there's the feeling of not being safe because you're so disconnected. Which one did you feel? Oh, I feel safe. Mm. I I think my family was into that kind of separation from the world's problems. During his early childhood, the isolation of Guam was felt, but not rejected. Mac and his family embraced isolation, and instead, Mac focused his attention on the natural world, wondering why his body was different than the slugs. He found immense joy in examining the biological wonders of his small island home. Guam presented a safe environment for Mac's family, yet from a young age, something terrifying kept him up late into the night. His fear would rise as the sun would set. When I was a kid, uh, around four or five, I had uh, night terrors every night. And there are these extreme dreams of fear and anxiety and suffering. And uh, I was scared to fall asleep every night. And my parents said uh, that in the middle of the night, I would often... uh, uh, run around the house screaming in, in terror with my eyes open and I was still dreaming with my eyes open and uh, uh, one night uh, I, I kind of set my foot down in my mind and I when you say set your foot down was there any like visual component of this? yeah I mean actually there was uh, it's a little bit weird to describe but I had these like 
three reoccurring demon figures. I just have like 10 consecutive dreams that were all contiguously linked night after night. The night I set my foot down, I actually lucid dreamed a piston, like a hydraulic piston, and I crushed these three monsters. And I just throughout my whole mind decided that I would no longer terrorize myself anymore and that I wouldn't be afraid of the visions of my imagination. And uh, from then on, I really felt throughout my whole life that I was a lot less afraid of things that would normally scare people. Like what? All kinds of things. New ideas, mainly. New ways of living. If, if there was an opportunity to do something that I wouldn't expect most people to have done, I would just do it. So like you weren't afraid of the unknown anymore? There's all kinds of radical novel things that can exist, were meant to exist, will exist. And uh, if they're totally new, that can be scary. But new doesn't mean bad. New could be very good. And if you can get over the hump of the fear of the unknown, then there is probably a more beautiful world out there waiting for you. As a child, Mac had an incredibly vivid imagination. And I think it's this imagination that cultivated a mental strength unusual for someone his age. Mac had the willpower to take control of his demons that lurked in the dark corners of his mind, quite literally crushing them into submission. By conquering these monsters, Mac found that he had vanquished fear itself. Though he remained deeply fascinated by its debilitating effects, he would no longer let fear dictate his life. As a result, he embraced the changes in his environment when they came, and due to his family's frequent moves, they came often. I always liked the concept of just uprooting everything and going to a new place, and being willing to kind of sacrifice what you knew in order to see something new. As a teenager, Mac had an uncanny perception that the world offered more than what lay on the surface. With a voracious appetite for knowledge, he yearned to explore new ideas and was committed to expanding his mind far beyond the confines of his physical location. This desire to explore the ideas of the world led him to a technology that could almost teleport him to the source of these great philosophical, scientific, and political revolutions. That technology was the internet. I'm going to do an internet. Culturally, my roots, I always said I was from the internet. I didn't really, I, I totally disidentified with being from a country or a city or a state or a race. And on the internet, everyone has a, as many usernames as they want. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with what your race is or where you're from. It has to do with the mind and what you're putting out there on the net. So my dad was into using technology for education. Mm. That was his big thing. And he got us a computer connected to the internet when I was 12. And I uh, forced my parents to let me be homeschooled because I, I didn't want to go to public school at any, any cost. The, re the reason I was so pulled 
to be homeschooled or to homeschool myself was because I ended up spending a lot of time on the internet and uh, finding that I was learning a hundred times more on the internet than I was in school. I was trying to learn anything that people didn't want me to know. <laughs> I was downloading books on anarchism, on making explosives, on leaks of things that had happened in governments that uh, tend to get covered up by the media. Just ev everything. Everything that I found interesting. That's what really I got obsessed with because I knew that what I was doing was illegal. And I knew I was learning so much more than I would any other way. Mac immediately discovered that he could learn a great deal more by sifting through the Internet's less regulated corners than he could by following the expected educational tract. And the more he learned, the more deeply he was troubled by the incompetence and maleficence of the power structures in society. Mac developed an early irreverence for them and became disenchanted with the government-run institutions. Subsequently, he became increasingly dissociated with the society he found himself inhabiting. Over time, this dissatisfaction and repulsion of the fundamental injustices of society and this world would only be fortified. When I was a kid, I fell in love with this girl. I was 14. When I went to political science camp at Northwestern University, I met this girl who was just the most amazing <laughs> angel I'd ever met. She was just so, like, wow. Uh, everything about the way she experienced life really just blew my mind. Like, she was so present and into it and adventurous, and uh, it was almost like she could kiss you the first time she saw you. Like, there's no rules. And we got closer and closer. Um, that, that political science camp only lasted a month, and we ended up talking on AOL Instant Messenger for a while. And then she revealed to me um, that she had an incurable genetic disease that would kill her by the age of 21 or 25, and that her liver did not produce alpha-1 antitrypsin, which is part of a metabolic balance in the lungs where your lungs are constantly cleaning themselves, and there's this enzyme that destroys the lungs, and there's another one that, that builds them back up. And she only had the thing that destroys the lungs. And so she would uh, die of not being able to breathe in like 10 years. And there's nothing that anybody could do. This totally shot me out of the canon of what I thought was real and worthwhile. I was like, this girl is a perfect little angel, so beautiful, so loving, and she was born with an incurable genetic disease. Like, that's an injustice. That is the fundamental injustice of this reality. It's not what we do to each other. It's not the other race or the other country or the other person stealing from you or making fun of you. It is the diseases that just we are forced to live with. Mm. Uh, it's, it's aging. It's coronavirus. It's um, HIV. So... At the time, I was on the internet talking about, like, just, I was on Wikipedia, I was on forums, I was like, hey, what can we do? I, here's a situation, like, I want to be an activist, I want to, like, 
bring attention to this? And she was like, no, um, just don't, just don't. I wanted to donate her my liver when I turned 18 for her birthday, or for my birthday, actually. <laughs> um, she was like, no, 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 I don't want, no one else needs to suffer or devote their time for me. God made me this way, and I accept that completely. It's been this way ever since I was born. Mm. Um, and online they said that gene therapy could work, but that would be 15 years away. And uh, at that time I never thought that I would ever have close to the capability to engage in genetic engineering. Mm. That just wasn't in my world. That became a part of me. That became a transformative, fundamental experience for my story. Mm. Um, first girl I ever loved. I didn't know that she had that. Mac had fallen in love with an angelic spirit. And while she had come to terms with her illness, Mac was distraught that someone with a soul so pure was destined to die at such a tragically young age. Mac viewed indiscriminate biological diseases as the worst kind of injustice. These diseases doled out at random were the physical embodiment of the sickness permeating the institutional structures of the world around him. It just didn't seem fair that someone so vibrant and innocent could be taken away so soon. He concluded that traditional institutions didn't care enough about the citizens under their protection and made few tangible efforts to cure the diseases ailing our world. Mac's firsthand experience with life's injustices left him with a lingering desire to fix the profound flaws in our world. So he turned to the novel currencies and economic structures that value the individuals over the institutions. So I had a friend that I met on 4chan, uh, and uh, we had talked about different hackery stuff on AOL Instant Messenger back when that was big, and uh, he sent me back in 2009 this thing called Bitcoin. And he was like, I'm running this on my computer, and I'm uh, making this new digital currency. And uh, I downloaded it, I made some Bitcoins, you know, mined them on my computer. And uh, I was like, this is, this, is, this is pretty bunk. Like, this is not going anywhere. Why did you think it wasn't going anywhere? Uh, I didn't see what it was connected to. It wasn't, it wasn't connected to anything. Mm. People, at that time, people were mining for the sake of mining. There's nothing you could buy with Bitcoin. Um, but that all changed pretty quickly. From my cypherpunk historical background, I was really into anarcho-capitalism. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, anarcho-capitalism is just this concept that consensual free trade should exist unabated uh, in all instances. And that the history of structural issues with social systems comes down to people using force to steal resources from those who make them. And so we have taxes and taxes fund the military and we have central banks and central banks fund the government. When people don't have money, central banks are there to make war happen. 
central banks are in seemingly unlimited source of control and they are managed by a very small number of people and uh, bitcoin is very much the opposite at the time um, bitcoin was developed uh, because of this uh, recognition that the entire mechanism of central banks is to steal value from people who use the currency uh, through inflation so bitcoin is a decentralized system where the rules of the game are known and shared by everyone. There is no entity that has the power to change the rules when others don't. And uh, it was just the only moral and ethical position that was to be taken with currency, I thought, at the time. When you have strong values, optionality decreases, but the opportunity to live a fulfilling life increases. What I mean by this is you begin to categorize options and choices as those that align with your values and those that don't. Mac epitomizes this framework and uses his morals and values as a compass. This train of thought brings us to Bitcoin. Mac was in part attracted to Bitcoin as a consequence of his pervasive rebellious streak. But he was ultimately captivated by the ethical merit of Bitcoin that contrasted America's corrupt currency system. Mac saw Bitcoin as a solution to the injustices that ran rampant throughout our economic system, and he would soon become further devoted to this decentralized economy. However, there was just one puzzle that Mac wanted to solve before venturing further into the wonderful world of Bitcoin, human mortality. So when I was 14, um, my, my base concept, the concept that came to me that I wanted to commit my life to was immortality. I left little hints to remind me about immortality everywhere, just so I didn't forget about it. Like, when I was 14, I went to this summer school in political science at Northwestern University, and my parents gave me a cell phone, and uh, I just set my home screen to say immortality and uh, i would just try to uh, discipline myself to be committed to this thing over time uh, it became more and more just looking for something that could uh, serve and free every entity on the planet just like some kind of gift that everybody would want to receive that would be really meaningful to them. Hmm. And uh, to me, gene therapy is the answer. Mac's fascination with immortality is an extension of his desire to free life from the ravaging forces of disease. The fundamental injustice of these diseases had burdened him since he met his first love, destined to die of cancer. If he could only find a way to beat death, he could create a just world. Mac's interest in immortality was much more than a fleeting thought. It was all-encompassing. He continued to search for a cure to the world's most deadly pandemic, death itself. Finally, having learned so much on his own, at 15, Mac took the obvious next step and went to college. Not because he wanted to, but because it was what society expected of him. He soon found that college had some drawbacks. Uh, within a few months, I totally broke down. I wasn't going to class. Um, the the whole like going to class thing and doing homework thing 
it didn't really work with me at the time. I wasn't that interested in doing something hard that somebody else was telling me to do. I was very into doing what I wanted to do mm. and not following rules and being on time. And uh, so I dropped out mm. and I went back home. And uh, What did your parents think of all this? Oh, they were happy to have me back home where they could uh, nurse me back to health, kind of. I was, uh, I was kind of depressed, and uh, being at this college was kind of the first time I felt like I was socially in the place that I wanted to be. But at the same time, I couldn't hold up the uh, rigorous class structure. Despite Mac's unmistakable passion for learning, he didn't enjoy college. Mac wanted to learn in a way that felt useful to him. He wanted to study and create on his own terms. He had no interest in devoting his time to learning concepts in which he saw no practical application. To him, it seemed that college was good for little more than seeking validation from the outside world. Still, Mac felt an obligation to finish. Eventually, he returned to college studying physics and chemistry and nomadically roamed from university to university, finishing semester after semester. One constant throughout this nomadic academia was a continued interest in use of Bitcoin. I was spending Bitcoin mostly because like no matter how much I spent, there was just always more money in my account. I started buying in between seven and 30 and over the course of the next 12 months, I converted my things and my money to Bitcoin. Cause like at the beginning of the year, Bitcoin was like worth $175 or something. And at the end of the year, it was worth 1300. I remember at the last semester of college, I looked at how much Bitcoin I had and I looked at my total college debt and I was like, yeah, I have a lot more than, than what's what I owe to the college. I divorced myself from the US dollar that year. So do you feel liberated? Totally. I felt <laughs> totally liberated. I felt like I was living according to my values. Mm. I had a lot of anxiety back then about just feeling like other people around me were not living according to their values. They were just kind of living in a way that was a compromise. Mm. Um, well, I'm just, not even sure if that's true. I feel it's more like people don't really think about their values. Mm -hmm. And society promotes and enforces values upon other people. And we never really take the time to actually stop and think, like, what do we actually well said. want? Yeah. Yeah. And that also scared me. Mm. It's very distanced from society. It's interesting, like you growing up in Guam seems to like represent that distancing from the society, that isolation that mm -hmm. you want to like be free thinking and you had that opportunity like yeah. early on. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. very accurate. <laughs> and then just moving and being uprooted so many times. Yeah. Um, also being part of the disidentification that I had with where I, the, the culture of where I was living. Mm. Like I, I am not... Um, where I'm living. Mac had unintentionally made a fortune off Bitcoin and it enabled him to live completely according to his own values. These values weren't created on a whim. He had intensive philosophical development throughout his childhood. He questioned the world constantly and through this inquisitive nature, he had established a strong set of values, but he wanted to strengthen them further and would not be bound by the confines of his immediate surroundings. He began seeking out peers around the world who shared his commitment to thought and knowledge. 
uh, back when I was reading a lot of Socrates and Plato, you know, all of these were done in a dialogue style. And uh, Socrates had died before I was born, but I really wanted to talk to the guy, you know, because I'm just reading these conversations about philosophy. Mm. And uh, I just imagined how cool it would be to be there in ancient Greece on the cutting edge of thought at the time, maybe with the Pythagoreans or something. And uh, I was just uh, sad that I missed out. Hmm. And so there are all these philosophers that I followed on the internet. All these guys are like uh, describing essentially flaws in current institutional systems, deep, deep flaws and are trying to point the way to, you know, more critical thinking and more connectedness with nature and each other. Terrence McKenna died. Uh, I was a big fan of Terrence McKenna. Mm. And he died around, like, I literally, I could have seen him um, before he died. But he died. And after someone's dead, you can't, uh, all you got is what they left behind in recordings. And uh, I just didn't want to miss out on... Uh, somebody that I really admired, uh, like spending time with them mm. and making my heroes my peers. I wanted to uh, contact these people and uh, they were all crazy enough to say yes to me, who was like, you know, 18. And uh, so who did you contact? Well, there's Paul Rosenberg. You know, we talked about uh, ancient history and Christianity and modern day governance. There's a seasteading institute. Uh, I met everybody from there a few times. As into seasteading. Wait, what uh, is that? Seasteading. It is also a teal-backed project. The idea is to create floating city-states in the ocean mm. that ha that are self they self-governing, autonomous economic entities, where you can create your own laws and own your own property in international waters. Um, so I went to the Seasteading Festival of MRL on the Wisdom Trek, where it's like Burning Man, but it's all boats that people <laughs> tie together, and there's all these different islands that have different vibes, and there's like the Google Island, where everybody's from Google, and there's like the hardcore party island, where it's loud music 24-7, and there's the yoga and tea island, where all you do is yoga and drink tea. Um, it was cool. You know, there were a lot of people that I wanted to meet that I didn't meet. Um, there were a lot of people that I met that I wasn't expecting to meet. Uh, friends, I made I made a lot of friends on the trip. There were friends that I knew from the internet, and I visited them. And uh, what was what is it like like materializing those relationships? Because it oh, it's so fun. Well, like it, it seems like almost like so much buildup. You know, because you you like have all this like emotion through what most people would deem emotionless mediums. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, obviously that's not true. But the I mean, all, all of, all of my deepest relationships outside of my family were with people on the internet. Yeah. Every single time we meet for the first time in meet space, you know, it's just weird because you talk to somebody on the internet and get to know them so well, so intimately, um, kind of behind this, this veil and then boom, you're there.
So it's almost like you have this parallel stream of development where you have to physically be, you have to develop this relationship about sharing the same space and not just、uh, voices in the ether. Mac was seeking a revolution in thought. And while he discovered that revolution, he simultaneously cemented his internet friendships. So much of his emotional connection was cultivated through a computer screen, and he finally had the chance to reach out and shake the hands of the people he admired and loved. Many of his friends were leaders in scientific and philosophical thought, and Mac idolizes these philosophers for the same reason he idolizes the scientists. To him, they represent mirrored paths towards universal understanding. Both. As Mac puts it, may generate compelling revolutions in thought, and he wanted to be in the thick of these discussions. He wanted to push the boundaries of life, as had so many before him. By 18, Mac had built a network of like-minded individuals, and he was prepared to make the personal leap of faith and trek to the forefront of a newly emerging technology. So he made plans to move to the Bitcoin capital of the world. Austin had the best Bitcoin community in the world. Wait, what? Yeah, if you were concerned with having a a full service, super tiny economy where you could buy massage services, you could buy lawn care, you could buy consulting, marketing, they they had it all. I mean,、uh, Cody Wilson was from Austin. Defense Distributed was in Austin. That was the 3D printed gun company.、Um, and then Ross Ulbricht, who started the Silk Road, was also from Austin. And that 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 level of passion was there in Austin.、Yeah. So there were a lot of other people that were doing more basic things like gardening that were super into Bitcoin and actually regarded it as money. And so I wanted to be in around like those were my people.、Mm. Um, People that wanted to develop a parallel economy to the existing economy, which、mm-hmm. we believed was、uh, infected with a loss of values and respect for human life. I had applied to biomedical engineering programs in North Carolina, and I applied to chemistry and education and chemical engineering. And all of my applications were rejected. Why? My GRE scores were like in the 50th percentile because、uh, I wasn't studying. Because I was making so much money in Bitcoin, I was like, I'm not going to study for the GRE. When every school rejected my application, I was like, This is ridiculous. I, these guys don't deserve me. I'm awesome. So. I was not interested in going to graduate school at that point. So, without much of a plan, Mac decided to move to Austin. He stuffed his worldly possessions into his bus and set off for the front lines of the blossoming Bitcoin economy. I can understand the excitement Mac must have felt as he drove towards the utopia of his dreams. Mac viewed Bitcoin as something that could be a revolutionary change to not only our economic system but the way in which we live our lives. Free from banks and fees and government interference, individuals can circumvent the traditional economy and live a life that is genuinely free. Mac was ready to be at the vanguard of this revolution. I met this girl on the internet that said I could leave my bus on her mom's land. So I was moving to Austin, and I was going like forty-five miles an hour, which is the minimum that's legal.、Uh, most of the vehicles were going eighty plus. Um, I was in. I was west of Atlanta, 
when a FedEx tractor trailer carrying 2,000 gallons of liquid glue hit my bus from behind on the interstate. Uh, both of the vehicles rolled over into the forest off the interstate and uh, exploded in the woods. After the bus had rolled over, just completely unconsciously on total adrenaline autopilot, like uh, climbing out of the window of the bus and running away because everything was like on fire and exploding. And I was trying to make it to this ditch so that I could get out of the way of the shrapnel. And um, after jumping out of the bus and running like, I don't know, 10 meters, I just like collapsed because my body was under so much strain and panic and I had just like expended all my energy at that point like in the crash and then and everybody that saw the accident couldn't believe that I survived Uh, my clothes were burned off my body Um, everything I owned was burned completely and the other driver was also burned to death and uh, Um, this was quite a shock. I was expecting to live a happy life in Austin. This isn't an easy story for Mac to tell. It's probably the most traumatic experience of his life. And you can hear there are points in the story where Mac's voice chokes up as these memories seep into the present. This story takes us back to this theme of fear. Mac has been combating fear since he was a child, but he has learned to manage and harness this fear. Each traumatic experience seems to bring Mac closer to inner peace. And we'll talk about how Mac harnessed this trauma to achieve inner peace and move his life forward next week. See you then for part two.